0: However you got here, you're currently listening to the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. Thanks for giving us a chance. If today's message speaks to you, encourages you, or just leaves you with questions, you can reach out to us at connect at I was asked to come up here this year and give a testimony. There's so many that I could give, uh, but I think I'll give you the one that's, that started my journey. And... It's kind of a funny story. Uh, I grew up hearing most of my childhood from my grandparents that the Lord works in mysterious ways. I didn't understand that until I was an adult. And how I understood it was how the Lord used a broken toilet to save me. Uh, How many know that you can have one of the worst years or one of the best years of your life at the same year? I did, in 1996. uh, I'd been out of the church as a teenager for a number of years, and I met a coworker who was a PK. Everybody knows what a PK is, right, preacher's kid? Met a coworker, and we were both going through nasty divorces at the same time, so we became friends on the job. But it got worse for me. Went through a nasty divorce, and my father suddenly died. He had been wrestling with kidney failure for a number of years. Uh, We lived in the same house. We were like best friends. People thought we were brothers more than they thought we were father and son. And uh, he just suddenly died. Uh, That happened and in the midst of the divorce, I lost my job. And I wrecked my vehicle. So now I'm kind of sitting on the outs and I'm at the same time wrestling with PTSD that I came back home from the Gulf War with, which drove me to alcoholism. So I was pretty much a wreck. And a few weeks after burying my dad, I thought, you know what, what the heck? I don't have much to live for anymore, so I did what veterans typically do. I loaded my pistol and put it to my head. And as I was doing that, the phone rang and I looked at caller ID and it was my friend. And something said, put down the gun and answer the phone. So I answered the phone and I hear, Phil, I have good news. And I'm like, what's the good news? And she says, we found a building for the church. They had been having church in the basement of a townhouse. I said, okay. And they said, but we need your services. And I said, what service do you need? And I hear. The toilet keeps running and it won't stop no matter what we do. I'm a handyman by trade. <laughs> so I said, well, did you do the thing? Yeah, we jiggled the handle and we turned the knobs and we did all that, and it just keeps running and running and running, so we need your services. So I said, okay, I think I, I said, it sounds like it's a bad float valve. I have one in, in my shop. I'll grab it and bring it over. Where's the church? The church is in Essex. I lived in Pikesville. I had gotten a little beater car from my cousin who didn't need it anymore that I cobbled back together in my driveway, and I drove all the way to Essex. And I got there thinking, you know what, I've been in and out of church, I'm really not a church person for a number of years, and you know what, I'm going to go in and fix this toilet really fast before they can start preaching to me. (laughs) This is on a Saturday. I had known the family that ran this church for six years prior to this. So I go in, and sure enough, it's about a 10-minute job for me. I fix the toilet. Everything's good. I say, okay, toilet's good. I'm going. As I'm going out the door, I go, "Uh, Phil, we have a question for you. What's the question? Well, tomorrow is our friends and family day, and... We consider you family, and we know you're not a big, you don't take church really seriously, but we like you to come. Maybe you'll hear something that you like. As a matter of fact, come for me, if you don't come for any other reason. Just come for me. So I said, okay, I'll come. I went in to service that Sunday morning, and I did what I call strategic placement which was sit myself on the very back row of chairs so that I could make a swift exit when the benediction was given. Well, that plan changed very quickly because when I heard the altar call, my head said no, but my feet said yes. And with a bad knee and bad hips and bad back, I ran to that altar and I was the first person there. By the time I got there, I was a mess because I was crying like a baby, snot bubbles were running. And the pastor looked at me and said, why are you here, son? And I said, I really don't know. The only thing I know is I need this Jesus you keep talking about. I've tried everything else and nothing else works. What do I have to lose by trying him? So I tried him that Sunday I confessed them as my Lord and Savior. I've been saved ever since. Six months later, I was ordained in the ministry. I have been pastoring now for 20 years. Never saw myself in that position, but I always use that testimony as an example that if God can change me, he can change anybody. If he can save me, he can save anybody. There's nothing too hard for him to do. Amen? Well, next up, you're gonna hear from Doug Jerzycki.
1: Phil is an amazing man, give him a hand. We came, in early, we came in early, and we got to talk for about 20 minutes. His background is amazing. So, like you said, everybody comes, we all come from a different walk of life. Let me get my notes out here. I had to. I got to do notes. Do you know where you're going? Do you know how you're going to get there? Most of us, I'll say the older people, we'd pull out a map, right? We know, you know where you are. You know where you want to go. And you have all kinds of choices on how you want to get there. For me growing up, I was an ordinary kid. You know, mom took me to church, I went to Sunday school, you know, do the vacation Bible school. I was in the boy, you know, I was in Boy Scouts, I was in the band. All of a sudden, here comes my first detour. High school. I was too cool. You know, hey, I'm going to high school. I'm too cool. I'm not going to do this church thing. You know, I'm not going to do band. I'm not going to do Boy Scouts. Just did, you know, did some sports, involved with the newspaper, the yearbook, photography at school. Did that through high school. I go away to college, same thing. I'm just involved with you know, going to school, not thinking about much of, of church. I go away to a four-year school and somebody said, hey, why don't you come to a church service at night? And I thought, ooh, hey, girls. That was my thought. <laughs> you know, that's why I went back to church. Asked me how it worked out. It didn't. <laughs> it it didn't. So we're, so then I have that. Get out. Get done with college. You know I get the job. So now I'm working. Along you know I eventually meet my you know I meet my wife. You know we have some kids. You know all of these detours along the way. Not back to church at once. But I started to thinking. You know, we got kids. Should probably go to church, and all that. But I was afraid to go to church. You know what it took. Phil touched on it. Somebody asked us. Our next door neighbor asked us to go, and my wife and I were just discussing this. We don't know if it was Easter Sunday or if it was like, you know, the beginning of the school year, but somebody asked us to go to church, and that's what it took me to get back in. So, and where was the church? Same type of church that I went to to start with. I will say this everything with this church is very methodical. You, you get it, Methodist? <laughs> all right, so we, you know, we go to church. We start getting, you know, we start getting involved at church. Well, things go along, you know. Start getting involved. Start doing more committees. You know, I serve on uh, trustees, pastor parish relations. We start doing the mission trips, and all of a sudden comes along another detour. I get transferred from the Midwest to the East Coast, not where I was planning on going in my life. So we come out to the East Coast. And same thing. So now we're out here and we start church shopping. Now this was up in, we were up in the Lancaster area. So we start church shopping. So what do we do? We go to the Methodist churches. We eventually found one. We started going there. Again, I get involved doing Bible studies, becoming involved with some leadership roles. This church had a contemporary service and I'm like, let's go to that. It's like, wow, we like this. Love the, mu-, you know, Love the music. Same thing with this. This is a contemporary service. Church had traditional services too. Where they they all met. We'd been there a couple years, and I'm starting to feel something is not quite right. And I'm like, I don't feel the Holy Spirit in this church. And what really triggered it for me was the, one Sunday, the contemporary service was in the main sanctuary. We're running late. I'm stand, we're sitting down there, a lady's standing next to me, and I go, good morning, how you doing? You're in my seat. That spoke volumes about that church. So we started. So I'm thinking, we got to start looking elsewhere. The only, at that point, from that point on, the only thing that kept us in that church was the adult Sunday school class we we're in. We didn't go to the services to listen to the music or that. It just, I wasn't feeling it. About the time we started looking, thinking about looking at a church here, and I'm thinking, what is it with these mega churches that draws so many people? Along comes another detour. My company bought a company in Baltimore and they moved us from Kenneth Square. Now I'm working in Baltimore. So we moved down here. First thing I did, church, you know, start church shopping again. Hey, where do we start looking? Methodist churches. Everyone we've been to, it's the same formula over and over and over. And I said, nope, we're driving up and down. So I re- get online, research, what are the other churches here? And I come across Mountain Christian Church we drive by, it's a mega church. The parking lot is packed, and I'm like, what's the draw? We went in, first time we pull in, you know, we pull in, hey, new here? Turn on your flashers. They parked us right in front. They had a spot for us. We go inside, we are greeted by somebody inside. Because when you go, if you haven't been to Mountain Christian Church, when you walk in, it is a huge lobby, and you just like, wow. And, everybody, and I've since found out that the people in the parking lot they say, hey, we got a, new, got a new person coming in. Hey, he's got a black leather vest on, black shirt, his wife's got a black T-shirt on. We're greeted inside by people. That's what, that's what the church did. That spoke volumes. That first Sunday, I hear the preacher talking. And, yeah, and same thing, I'm sitting in back. Don't want don't to want to be up front, right? We're sitting in back. I could have swore that pastor was looking straight at me and, and giving the sermon right to me, and I'm like, oh, wow. So... You know, we've so we got. You know, we we're doing going to church. Got involved in some small groups. Um, you know, I had gotten back. Uh, you know, I was doing the motorcycle thing. I started that up in Lancaster. We come down here. I find out there's a motorcycle group at the church, and I said, "Cool." So I started talking to them. Um, things go along. One of the biggest things that they had done, they had. saw they'd asked me. You know, I felt honored and humbled with this. They asked me to be one of the leaders of the mountain riders. But you got to become a church member, and I said, and to become a church member, you got to be baptized. Now, growing up as a Methodist, that thing over there, ooh, that scared the heck out of us. I said, why do I need that? Eventually, listening to the pastors at church, we found out what it is to, you know, to do an adult baptism. You know, I'm professing my faith in front of a, in public, and that's what it and that's what it took, All right? And so. We did that, so my birth date is January 31st, 2016. And from that day forward, you know, I truly feel blessed. God has blessed me all along. Even with all these detours, I've never lost my sight of where I'm going in the end, right? So, yeah, so know your roadmap of life, right? Do you know where you are going? All right, Uh, next up, where did Harry go? Here's Harry, last speaker, Harry McKenzie.
2: All right, guys, Uh, I wanna start out by saying uh, I might be using a few domisms as we go along through through the course of the day. So first off, I'm gonna start out by saying uh, if you guys could, As he would say, let's buckle up because it's going to get a little bumpy. Uh, At least for me it is. I don't know about you guys, but if you saw me up here before, I'm shaking like a leaf. But anyhow, uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, this story is something that um, God has been putting on my heart to share for a long, long time, and I've never had the courage to do it. So... uh, So if I get a little shaker, if I lose, uh, get a little um, emotional, you guys are going to have to give me a pass and not take away my man card. Um, but uh, it's something that happened to my wife and myself and our family early on in our marriage. Uh, we were married in 84 and this took place in... Um, 1988 and i was uh 25 years old so if you guys are getting out the calculators to figure out how old i was or how old i am currently am, i should say um but it starts out um just out this is a little audience participation does any uh does everybody here know the poem footprints in the sand okay well it plays a, a huge part in my life and i didn't know it at the time uh, my grandmother is the one that pretty much introduced me to Christ and brought, started taking me to church as a young boy. Um, but she had this poem, Footprints in the Sand, in a couple of different places throughout her house. And it became a very inspirational thing for me. I'm, if anybody that's not aware of what it is, look it up and you, you understand. Um, but when I come full circle with this story, you will understand how it played such a role in my life. Um, If anybody, everybody knows, it's not biblical, but I believe it has biblical foundations to what the story is about. With that being said, so like I said, I already told you, I was 25. Um, My daughter was born at that point in time. She was uh, 18 months old. My wife was pregnant and she gave birth to our son. He was uh, two weeks old at the time and we didn't know it at the time, but throughout my wife's latter, the latter part of her pregnancy, She struggled quite a bit with uh, pain and sickness, and we just thought it's part of the game of pregnancy, so to speak. So we didn't think much of it. Uh, Like I said, shortly after he was born, though, um, he was about two weeks old. I was awoken about, I don't know, probably 12 o'clock midnight, and 11 o'clock, something like that, one one evening to my wife, uh, laying on the floor in tears, crying. So I said, "Okay, what's going on?" So I, you know, I asked her, what, "What's going on?" And she said, "I don't know. I'm in excruciating pain." I said, "Well, would would it?" She said, "I got pain in my stomach." I said, "Okay." So we, in turn, I in turn, get her ready, take her to the hospital. Um, we go to the hospital. We sat there for six hours. They finally see her and they treat her and release her, telling her, "Go home. It's postpartum stress. It'll go away in a few days." Okay, um, about an hour after we get home, i 'm awoken again by her crying. I mean, now this time she 's literally not just kneeling on the floor, she's laying on the floor in excruciating pain, crying her eyes out. So I pack her back up and we head back over to the hospital. We get over to the hospital, we 're there another three hours or so. But now it's like eight o'clock in the morning and um, they actually had another gentleman there that had been there about three hours they call his name and he goes up and he goes please do me a favor and they said what's that and they said take this lady i will wait and and she said and he's she said oh no we've already treated her she's back again we're, we're we'll get to her when we get there this is the truth um and it turned turn like like i said now by now it's about eight o'clock in the morning or so and i know that her GYN, who delivered our two children, is now open at another nearby hospital. So I call his office, I explain the situation. They said, Harry, don't check out, don't tell them, don't leave, don't do nothing, just leave, come over here, I will have a nurse waiting for you guys when you get here. How, what's your ETA? I said, about 20 minutes. He Said, okay, I'll have somebody waiting for you. I pull up in front of the emergency entrance to this, to this hospital. There is literally a nurse sitting on the curb at the, at the drive-through waiting with a wheelchair. And I pull up, wind down the window, and she goes, are you Mr. McKenzie? And I said, I am. She says, I'm here to take your wife back. I said, okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with the GBMC hospital. That's where we went. Um, their, their parking lot at that time, it's different now, but at that time, their parking lot was literally right there where the emergency act entrance was. Meanwhile, I go and park the car. Literally, when I get back in, I ask where my wife is. They've already got her back in treatment. They tell me where she is. I go back. When I get back there, they've already got her in a gown. They've already got an IV in her. They're already treating her and checking her out. And I said, the nurse said to me, my understanding is you came from another hospital. And I said, yes, we did. And they said, well, what did they say? And I told them, and they said, I don't understand how they could treat her and release her. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, I could tell you right now she has jaundice. Her, the whites of her eyes are yellow. Underneath her, her fingernails are yellow. She's very sick. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm obviously not qualified to make those determinations, but here's where we are. She said, okay, well, we'll get it. So to try and make a long story, longer story short, um, about three days later, Two two or three days later, in the hot, they admitted her, and they they found out that apparently she had well, first of all, she had pancreatitis, but on top of that, she had gallstones that were embedded in her bowel, and um, that's what was causing the sickness and making her so sick. Apparently, this had been going on throughout throughout the latter part of her pregnancy, and we were unaware of it. So. Meanwhile, they have this specialist come in, he's going to do, perform the surgery, but she had to wait like two or three days before her levels came down enough that they could actually do the surgery because the infection was so bad. So they got her on antibiotics, treat her, so on and so forth. Anyhow, so they get her well enough that they can do the surgery, and the surgeon told me that it was probably going to take about an hour and a half to do the surgery. I said, okay, so they're supposed to schedule it at eight, hour and a half, 9.30, 10 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood. Then she's got to go into recovery before she wakes up. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to head over there and get over there between 11 and 12 o'clock, you know, so that she'll be awake by the time I get there. So I do that. Now, meanwhile, keep in mind that I have a 18-month-old and a two-week-old baby at home. So we, I get over there, and it's new, around noon, and I ask the nurse, I said, is my wife still, where's my wife? Is she in recovery? Oh, no, they're still in surgery. I said, okay, is there something wrong? And they said, no, we don't, we don't think so. 3.30 that afternoon, my wife was still in surgery. It took them five and a half hours to dig out gallstones out of her bowel because they were so embedded in her bowel. The surgeon comes out to me after the surgery was over and he says to me, Now, obviously, he doesn't know the God that I know. But he says to me, if it wasn't for the fact that your wife is only 23 years old, she would not have made it off my operating table. He said, I've only seen this in women that are in in their 80s and 90s that are this bad. He said, I dug around for three and a half hours trying to remove gallstones from her bowel and could not remove them. So I had to do a partial resection of her bowel and cut out about 18 to 20 inches of her bowel to remove the gallstones were there. So with this being said, my, my wife was extremely, extremely sick. Um, she wound up spending 15 days in the hospital before they, she left the hospital with a drain on her stomach where the, the bowel would, would, and the blood and all that would come out of her stomach. Um, so we in turn, we leave there, and uh or i'm sorry uh, the how how footprints comes about is that um i'm i'm there's one day of course like i'm trying to figure out i'm working a full-time job i'm trying to figure out how to take care of an infant and a 18 month old what to do with them you know it just so happened that my parents decided to which is who the person i would normally turn to but they decided to take a trip to germany for a month to visit my sister so I was all, essentially I felt all alone. And uh, in this, I was, I can remember one night I come home, I finally got the kids to bed. It's probably around 10 o'clock at night and I'm sitting in my dining room table and I kid you not, I was lost. I was broken. I didn't know where to turn. I, I didn't have family to turn to. I didn't have anybody to turn to for help or anything else. So I turned to the one and only thing that I knew to turn to and that was God. And I sat at my dining room table, a 25-year-old young man, and I'm supposed to be a tough adult and supposed to be able to deal with life. And I sit at my dining room table, and I bawl like a baby. I mean, just, I was broken. I didn't know what to do. But going, coming full circle to the story of footprints, as you guys all know and understand what footprints in the sand is, um... I I didn't realize it at that time, but I realize it now, uh, you know, after I've had time to reflect on what it was about and so on and so forth. I realized that, um, you know, how it says that you always see the one set of footprints and we wonder why has God left us or forsaken us at that point in time in our lowest valley of our life. And I realized that God didn't leave me at all. It was actually where God was carrying me through that because I could tell you if it wasn't for, the, for God carrying me through that, I don't know where I'd be today. I may not even be here because I was that broken. So, so with that being said, um, that's, that's how it comes back to me for Footprints in the Sand is that, that God carried me through that point in time in my life. And... Uh, And as I, as I said, I would, I would explain how I think that it is. It is um, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm getting ready to come in for a landing, so you guys will have to bear with me. Um, but how it related to footprints to, for me is that um, when I was so broken and so low, we, we know, there's a lot of scripture out there that tells us, and there's many places in scripture that tells us, that God will never leave us nor forsake us, and that he is always with us. And I can tell you that's how that, that poem hit me, punched me in the face, so to speak, because I realized that, that it was that point in time in my life that God carried me through that because I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to, to, to make it at that point in time. So again, with that being said, um, that's how Footprints, you know, comes back to me in my life. And, uh, sorry. It's just, uh, Tom, you want to come on? <laughs> but, uh, anyhow, that, like I said, there was, there's, no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind without a single doubt in my mind that God was the one to carry me through that. So if you guys are ever experiencing any time of any type of struggle in your life or any type of loss or whatever the case may be, I believe wholeheartedly that if you turn and look at the and have time to reflect on that in your life, you'll realize that that's when God carried you through your valley of your life. And I believe that he always will. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Harry, that was really some message there. It really was. And, and I, was, um, I was preparing, and I'm just going to share two sermons in two minutes. So buckle your seatbelts. We're ready to take off again. That was just a touch and go there. Okay, so I was, as he was talking, I was just led to, to the scripture that he was saying in Hebrews. Um, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, this word here, a lot of people may not know it, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means neglect. God is not going to neglect you. No matter where you're at, he's not going to, he hasn't forgot about you. He's there for you. And I think this, what Harry was just saying, was a perfect life example that hey God is still with me I may I may be off somewhere else in my head but God's not going to leave you he's not going to neglect you make sure you're saved first okay make sure you got God if you don't got God you're missing the boat here now so that was good and I want to share another uh verse here or if that's okay and I just want to share this over the, the motorcycle, all the motorcycle guys, uh, especially CMA. In Isaiah, he talks something pretty interesting here. Isaiah 6. It says, also, Isaiah, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and, wh- and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. You know, these guys, they're, they're, they're on the motorcycle um, uh, club group ministry. That's the way to put it. And it truly is a ministry. It's not a bunch of guys that's going for a joyride. They're using their ministry, they're using their motorcycles to share the gospel. They really are. And I really appreciate that. And Harren, and, and all of you who come the past couple of years, it's truly a ministry and you're using the motorcycles. Why am I saying this? Because every one of us have something in us that we can use as a tool for the kingdom of God. Every one of us. So figure out what yours is, what it is. It could be at the workplace, it could be at school, wherever it is, but God has put you in a place to be able to share the gospel. God has put you in a place where you can say, here I am. Send me. Amen. Well, I want to... I want to pray. I want to pray over the the bikers and the bikes. And uh, Harry, stay here with me if you would, please. Uh, We are, again, so grateful for you guys coming. Uh, Our prayer team will be up here on the right and left. You may have been triggered and saying God I need you I don't need religion I need you God I'm missing something I'm missing something and just as the gentleman said earlier I don't know what else to do I just need this Jesus if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior make it happen today I say like this don't go out them doors Unless that's Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Amen. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says you're a sinner. The Bible says you have to ask God for forgiveness. The Bible says he will forgive you. And the Bible says that you have to invite him in. It only happens that way. It doesn't happen coming to church every week. It doesn't happen by giving to the poor and being a nice person. It happens by saying, God, I know I'm a sinner God, forgive me my sins. God, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. You're doing a prayer. It's between you and God or the prayer team. But don't leave this planet without knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if that happens, he says, I'm not going to leave you or neglect you. So, Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for each person here. And Lord, if anyone doesn't know you, Lord, I pray they, they get it right today. And Lord, they can hang on to these verses that you're not going to leave them. You're not going to neglect them. Lord, I pray blessings over each person. And right now, Lord, I do pray for the two young men that were on the screen here earlier. Father, we pray for your hand to be upon them. We thank you for being the God that heals. And Lord, we pray for healing for these two young men. Lord, we pray your hand to be upon them and upon the families as well, Lord. Give the families strength in this time. But Lord, we just pray for healing. Lord, I pray over each bike here today, Lord. Father, I pray your hand to be upon it. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over each motorcycle here today, Lord. We, we bless these bikes in a sense that they're used for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for all the riders on them, Lord. I pray for safety to be upon them. I pray for a keen awareness of their surroundings on the road. But Lord, their keen awareness to their surrounding wherever they may be not just on their bikes, not just on the road, but at the workplace. Father, they keep their spiritual radar on in everyday life. And I pray that for us as well, Lord, that we keep a spiritual radar on. You put us here on this planet for a reason, and not just to to work and sleep and eat and do it all over again. It's to share the gospel. So Lord, I pray that we all share the gospel. Lord, send us. Lord, continue to use CMA, continue to use the motorcycle guys and women to spread the gospel in a powerful way. I thank you for this ministry as it's blessing so many other ministries and people. But Lord, I pray your hand to be upon them, Lord. I pray your hand to be upon uh, Harry right now, Lord, as a as a leader of this chapter here. Bless him, grow this uh, ministry, Lord. But Father, we pray this ministry, CMA, and all of our ministries is continuing to continue and not to stop and to continue to move forward and share in sharing the gospel. CMA in a powerful way. Father, we thank you for so many blessings, but most of all, we thank you for Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead for our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And you may stand.
0: Thanks for giving the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast a chance. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and if you want to know more, we've got everything you need at perryhall.life.